Hi, this is Sri Ram Narayanan. I am the Vice President for Publications for the Palms Society. Welcome to another episode of Palms Podcast. Today we are going to be talking to Professor Annabel Feng. She is a professor at Purdue University and was recently elected a fellow in Palms. And Annabel is going to share with us insights on her academic career. Joining me is Carlos Parra, who is a professor at Florida International University and is the editor of Palms Chronicles. Um, and on to Professor Annabel Feng. Good morning, Annabel. Uh, thank you for joining us as a newly minted Palms Fellow and congratulations on your accomplishment. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> just for our audience, uh, Annabelle Fang is the youngest in her field to be designated a Palms Fellow, and she has published in numerous academic journals on topics of procurement and inventory management, design and manufacturing outsourcing, supply contract negotiations, workforce requirement forecasting and optimization, and the role of population in economic growth. Her most recent work focuses on developing the notions of stochastic functions and developing general theory for data-integrated decision-making. Um, Annabel, thank you for joining us. I think we also have Carlos Parra. Uh, he is our Palms Chronicles editor. And uh, Carlos, would you like to start? Thank you very much, Freedom, and, and thank you very much, Annabel, for doing this and for your time. And congratulations. Quite an accomplishment and very well-deserved. Um, so could we start with you telling us about your trajectory and you know you spent quite a bit of time in industry, uh, first in Arthur Anderson and Hewlett Packard, and then how was your transition to academia and how your thinking was to move into academia? Well, uh, to start with, I think that was a pure accident, but a good one, of course. Uh, so I, I I worked in consulting for um, a few years, and then thinking that you know I need to kind of move myself up and do something, and naturally the Next step is go back to school. And by accident, I applied a few um, MBA schools and, and a few PhD programs. And by accident, I ended up in uh, UT Dallas. Okay, the story was long, but uh, it was not the original intention, but I ended up there. And uh, that's when I started to, le to learn about what research is about, academic career is about. Um, by the time I finished PhD, I think I had a chance to go back to industry. Uh, but I think what attracts me the most in the academic career is the freedom. I, I think, you know, you can, you can choose what you would like to work on, uh, not being pushed by a schedule or a tar corporate target of um, something that may not necessarily be your interest. And, and, and you can fully explore your own uh, talent and, and, and avoid your weakness, of course. I think every one of us rec recognize that we're good at something, not good at something. And being an academic career that allows us to fully explore what we are good at and, and, and probably if things you are not necessarily um, dear to your heart, you can kind of quietly avoid them. Uh, of course, not always, but most of the time. Uh, I think um, that's what excites me, the, the, the freedom of you know, deciding who you are, who you're going to be. I think that's the biggest attraction of academic career. And, and was there a mentor or someone that uh, helped you make that decision or? Uh, I, I think a lot of them because <laughs> in UT Dallas, um, of course, my advisors were at study. I think um, I, uh, 
especially as I, you know, go along in the later years, more and more I appreciate the influence I get from people from UT Dallas. Um, like Thrush is a journalist. I would say that he is, um, uh, he never tried to say I'm, I'm, I'm refining myself on a specific area or a specific methodology. Um, so during my PhD days, uh, he can, he may be randomly sending me some papers that was completely irrelevant to what I'm doing or irrelevant to even OM. And he will just say, here's something of interest. And I think um, that that was extremely helpful, especially, of course, everybody has our own research style, but I think um, uh, he, he's kind of the person that opens my eyes and, and, and then seeing a connection of different things that are seemingly completely unrelated. Uh, and I appreciate that. Um, uh, I can name many, pe many, many people. Uh, another one is Alam Ben Susan. I, I always um, uh, admire him because he's like a dictionary. If you get stuck on something, you go to Alam and say, oh, you know, I have a problem and I'm kind of puzzled about it. And the next day he will bring you 40 pages of notes and say, here's the message you should look into and you never heard of. <laughs> Even though uh, when I started working with him, I have been working on uh, stochastic dynamic programming related stuff for three years. But only when I, you know, three years later when I, um, when he joined UTD, when I started working with him, I realized how little I know about uh, stochastic dynamic programming. So I, I think these are amazing people that have um, influenced me a lot. And I think the most I gain from that experience is I, I realized that, you know, uh, like one of my PhD students, uh, first time he came to discuss with me and he was asking me, what is my plan for the next five years? Um, do I take courses, learn knowledge in two years, and then I will create knowledge afterwards. Okay. I, I think many of the um, students or young scholars uh, kind of hold that notion. But the people I worked with uh, during my PhD days make me realize that you are always learning. Research is a journey of learning. We never create new knowledge. We, we, we keep learning and then we discover something that we learned a little bit more probably than others. That becomes our um, research. I, I guess that's the way I, I will put it. Yeah. And it just, you know, out of curiosity, is there anything you miss from your timing industry? Uh, yes, but uh, I think uh, one of the things is that people you work with are very smart. Um, in research, um, I mean, in academic, you, you look for certain research contributions and, 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 and of course, uh, many of us focus on publishing papers. It's one important dimension, right? But in industry, you will find that people, um, uh, they, they have very different backgrounds. They may not be technically uh, um, very strong, but people have, um, you know, smart ideas. Uh, and also I think uh, many people have extremely strong domain knowledge. Uh, when, you, when you see different people, especially in consulting, you have the chance to, you know, interact with people with very different um, talents uh, that you learn many different things from people. I think. Yeah. So Annabelle, how did, you, how did you arrive at the PhD decision? And you know, what prompted you to, uh, come to a doctoral program and who influenced you to get to a PhD program? Yeah, as I mentioned before PhD, I was uh, working in consulting and it was a, uh, 
I was in Shanghai and uh, economy was growing very rapidly. It's actually a very exciting time. Um, uh, but I know that um, kind of the general norm in the industry is that being a consulting, you are kind of touching everything, but you never go deep on something. And I thought, you know, a natural um, thing I should do is trying to uh, become an expert in some area. But it was difficult to make the choice. So uh, whether being manufacturing or being technology, you know, uh, I explored many different things, but couldn't make up my mind. Uh, and definitely, you know, an undergraduate degree will not get you too long. So one natural step is go back to school. So um, I think uh, that's what kind of drive me to start thinking about coming to US and, 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 and get a degree. And then I can, I can, I can you know, uh, decide what to do next because when you're young, you're limited with the kind of exposure you have to, to make the decision about your future career, right? When we were in 20s, everybody really don't know what is the rest of, for the, what is there for the rest of our life. Um, so, so, so that's what happened. And um, the reason I, I picked a PhD program is purely, um, well, many people would say that's a ridiculous reason because you know uh, you get full scholarship, so you don't have to worry about money. And and most of the PhD program, at least uh, my friends told me, who were going through the um, these programs, saying that you know if you really don't like it, two years later you can get a master and find a job. Okay, um, so that was before the dot com bubble was uh, bursted, so it's easy to find a job. So I thought you know not a bad deal. That's how I ended up in a PhD program. Um, but after I entered the PhD program, I, that, I, I, I actually the first two years I was not quite deciding, you know, which way I, which path I would take, academic or go back to industry. So um, I decided that I will keep connection with the industry. Um, that's why I uh, every summer I go for internship. Um, but then uh, work at HP for two summers, um, I realized that, you know, um, oftentimes in industry, the type of things that you need to do to get things to work, I feel I can always do it. That then uh, that takes away the uncertainty or challenge in your life. That's not too fun. So, um, uh, but in, on the academic side, I feel there's, you know, I don't know how my career will, 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 will end up being. I, I feel that's probably more exciting. Uh, I think that's one of the major reasons driving me, you know, uh, going to a university instead of a company. That's that's fabulous. I do I do have to ask you a sort of uh, offbeat question. Since you are the mm -hmm. youngest POMS fellow, did you ever imagine when you graduated you'd become a fellow so fast? Uh, of course not. When we graduated, like everybody else, you worry about your tenure, right? There's a six-year clock chasing you behind, and then you worry about where's your ne next paper and you know, and, and I think everybody goes through that. Maybe it's too long for us to kind of recollect how stressful that is. Every time you get a rejection, you know, get emotionally uh, so distressed. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm no different from anybody else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, so, so as, you, as you think about, that actually gets us to a different part, right? So, so coming to publishing, uh, particularly when when many uh, young scholars start their effort in the publishing journey and are seeing rejections and everything else, what advice do you have uh, for 
for younger scholars who who want to learn from your experience and can uh, i actually have a lot to say but um <laughs> let me let me let me let me um be brief i think two things are important uh um first thing um i see not just myself but others as well uh is do not get um too emotional with rejections because after all we as well as the reviewers we're humans we have what we like we have we, what we do not like so if someone trash your work and say this is useless um don't get too depressed depressed with that uh, uh what, what i mean is that you know uh uh, oftentimes I see a rejection, too many rejections can hurt one's confidence uh, so that you judge yourself wrong. You may, sometimes you may even question, is academic career really for me, something for me? And, and, and I think once you have that doubt, um, then you're departing from what you can enjoy from research. I think, I think the reason we are in this career is because we have some passion on what we are doing. And, and if because of um, a negative response from other people um, kind of take that joy away from you, then this career will become miserable. And I, and I see that, um, you know, I went through tough periods. Uh, I can still tell that in 2008 uh, was the worst year ever in my career because every single paper, no matter their first submission or third round review gets rejected. Uh, in that year, okay, every single one of them, for whatever reason, maybe you say it's a bad draw of luck, uh, but, but, you know, when you experience that, you know, it's, it's very difficult that you do not question yourself and say, you know, am I doing, am I, am I for this career? I, I think that's, that, that's the worst thing could happen uh, if one takes that too emotional or too personal. Um, but uh, I think I'm a lucky one because uh, uh, eventually all the papers that were rejected in 2000, 2008 got published. Uh, some quicker, some, some take longer. The longest one I had uh, you know, in, the, in the review process was six years after the paper gets published. So I think you know, every one of us have to um, kind of have an experience like that. Uh, once in a while. Uh, so the second important thing about uh, dealing with review is that, you know, uh, even though I say don't get emotionally uh, affected by negative comments, but you also uh, want to uh, be cool about the review and think about why reviewer raised this question instead of saying, oh, he doesn't understand my word. Maybe I did not write it clear enough for someone to who not, 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 does not necessarily have the exact background, understand it. Uh, how, how do I improve? I think that's the most um, important um, thing from the review um, response experience that we all have to kind of uh, take a cool about it. Okay. Um, uh, even if you feel the review is not very relevant, but, but ask yourself, what did I do wrong? Or what could I do better so that I can avoid questions like that? or I can convince the referee to, um, you know, change his mind, his or her mind. Okay, I think, I think um, uh, take yourself out of the position of someone is criticizing me. I think that's the, that's the trick here. And then take, take a look at the report and ask, you know, if I'm putting myself in the shoes of the referee, what is it that he doesn't like about the, the, the work? 
and and that I can improve on, so that my work will be more uh, acceptable for a more general audience. I think that 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 is a um, must exercise for all of us. Yeah. So um, uh, along those lines, uh, Annabelle, could you please tell us, uh, you know, from a high level perspective, how do you view the process of, of establishing your name in the field? So, you know, like that experience of the 2008 and then getting everything published and that, that organic process of, of getting your name out there and, and picking the field and being good at it and going back to your passion of why is it that I'm doing this and I'm not going to give up? Yeah, I think I think uh, all of us have a path of getting more matured in this career and, and growing this career. We, we have to all accept that. I think I'm still growing <laughs> um, uh, uh, in, in, in different dimensions. Uh, one thing is that, you know, uh, to, how to say, to, to shape your, yourself, because every one of us is different. Um, Oftentimes you say, oh, I see this person as really, you know, um, successful and, and this is my role model, but you never copy another person, right? So even your advisors, and, and this is one of the things I learned after PhD. Uh, so I will never become stressed that he is who he is and he is successful for what, who he is and I will never become him or I will never become a, a replication of anybody else. Um, so therefore, I think it is important to um, for for me to understand what is my strength and what is my weakness. And I would say it's more important to understand what I'm not good at and, um, and, 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 and try to work on these uh, things, I think, you know. Um, uh, and um, so I think w first question to ask is what is really dear to your heart, what you really want to do. So, for example, during my PhD days, I think um, many people would like to say, you know, if I chase a, a popular topic, it's easier to publish. Um, but I decided not to go that path. Of course, I'm not saying that my way is the best way because, again, everybody is different. Um, because I realized that for me, um, I, I, I have very limited energy of exploring too many things. Uh, um, my style is that I want to focus on just a few things. And, and then try to do my best. Uh, so, um, and, 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 and since my PhD, I think from time to time, some topic gets really popular, but over time, some of them die down, some of, some of them carry on. So um, uh, for me, I, I, I thought, you know, I'm not never gonna be someone who's gonna chasing the waves and be the top of the wave. So I'm trying to focus on what I really want to do and what I think I'm good at. I, I think, um, uh, and what I believe is that if you really have good work, you can always get it published. And so for example, I decided to focus on stochastic inventory after my PhD, uh, because uh, you know, for 14 years, you want to uh, focus on one or two area, establish your name instead of spreading to things. You only have six years, right? So. So, so one of the areas I decided to focus on is stochastic inventory. And I think that's around, uh, I graduated in 2006. So you might recall around that time, everybody says, you know, uh, there's 60 years of development of stochastic inventory. There's not many, you know, interesting problems left and, and, and whatever people can do will be very incremental. 
you cannot make major fruit breakthroughs out in this area. Uh, but yet, I think you know uh, my major package for uh, tenure was on stochastic inventory. So, so, so this is what I believe. Work on um, what you like the best, and if you really have good work, uh, you will have it published. And 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 I still believe that. And and so, like students come and work with me. I I I just pick on something you like. Uh, and and and. You know, it is not necessarily, you, you don't have to be necessarily, you know, influenced by what is hot now, but that, that doesn't mean you ignore what is hot now, right? You want to know the field, but, uh, you know, pick on something that you're good at uh, and you really like. And I think especially in the earlier stage of the career, um, that is probably important because if it's something that you really like, then you will really be passionate about it, invest a lot of energy in it, that's how you can build your initial name in the field. That, that's what I think. When you think back of how you arrived at, at uh, stochastic inventory management, uh, you know, because of course, production operations management is a wild field and, you know, your advisor is doing one thing and you're trying to figure out, how did you figure out that that was what you were really good at? How, how was that process? How did you come to that conclusion? Yeah, I, I think I was lucky. As I said, my advisor is a pretty diverse, has a pretty diversified profile. I actually worked with him on many, many different things during my PhD time. Uh, uh, that's another advice I, I often give my own students that don't say you're not interested in something unless you have worked on it. So, uh, so I had the opportunity of working on many different things, um, including information system management, product development uh, during my PhD time. Uh, with my advisor, and, and and so you know, among the stuff that I worked on, I feel that you know, uh, stochastic is what I really interested, uh, and you know, uh, that that's how I pick it and 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 continue until today. I would say. In in terms of you know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you is that you know, when when you look at the kind of areas like you said, stochastic inventory, and you, you've been really focused in that, you know, and you've you've sort of have you have a number of different papers that you have published in that, particularly for younger audience who, who really want to, uh, how, you know, I'm sure it was a big task just to leave away the temptations of working on other areas that sort of came your way, right? So I'm sure many people came and asked you, would you do this, would you do that? So do, how did you keep your focus? Yeah, actually I have a very diverse interest on many different things, especially, you know, when you work, uh, I, I do still, here and they work with industry on a variety of different things. Uh, but as I said, before tenure, I wanted to, um, and I would got advice from many senior people that you want to focus on one or two areas instead of 10 different areas that you never build your name, right? Um, um, but uh, so for example, another area I, I have been heavily focused on is um, negotiation and bargaining. Um, and, and I think, you know, uh, branching into that, that area was completely not irrelevant to uh, not relevant to my uh, PhD dissertation. Um, um, uh, when I when you enter that area, it actually took me one year to learn about what is bargaining uh, in different literature, economics, marketing, and, and before producing the first paper. And unfortunately, the first paper was never published. <laughs> I, I think that was a, but that was a good learning experience uh, because I think you know uh, when you pick up new things. Um, you have to invest on learning and understand what people have done so that you can um, avoid um, 
misunderstandings or generating wrong results. Okay. So, so um, you know, especially for example, in bargaining area, you, you see um, lots of papers published um, in different areas. So I explore papers in all kinds of areas, including like electrical engineering. Um, people use bargaining models to, to study packet transition and capacity exchange. Those, and, and you will find that um, uh, oftentimes people make mistakes. And the reason people make mistakes is because um, they took the tool without fully understanding what the tool does and, you know, just apply it. Okay, so, so when you try to modify a framework, maybe it's inappropriate to modify it this way, or, or, or it's better, uh, it's more appropriate to modify it that way, um, uh, and these kind of understandings. So I think, you know, there is definitely a cost to pay um, to, to enter a new area, uh, but learning what is already there and have a deep understanding before you start, I think it's, it's very, very important. I think if you want to be a scholar, you, you have to enjoy the learning process that you do to, 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 to get something new and understand something new. I think uh, that, that is actually a very enjoyable process. So um, like now I'm, I'm working on uh, data integration um, models with data integration and different approaches. And I actually started this work almost what, eight years ago, uh, but uh, I realized that there's a lot of things out there, uh, you know, from traditional uh, statistics, applied probability to, you know, computer scientists has uh, developed a lot of different ways of learning algorithms. Uh, I think, you know, uh, to be able to comfortably say that I'm producing something new, uh, you really have to first learn uh, something you don't know to, to, to do it right, I think. Of course, I would say that before tenure, you focus on the number of paper counts. Uh, to survive, that's what everybody needs to do. Uh, but after tenure, I actually um, spend some time uh, thinking about what I really want for the rest of my career. I think, you know, uh, I'm someone who is not, you know, really enjoying, I get one more count of publication or, or, or you know, uh, but I think uh, I wanted to, to kind of focus on things that I feel that I learn something new every time I, I, I produce it. Talk to us more about your teaching. How, what, how do you view teaching, particularly with respect to undergrads, grads, executives? What, what should we as teachers think of? Uh, I, um, I have taught every, every level, undergraduate, uh, you know, MBAs, master, uh, executive, and PhD. I think First of all, when you when you, when you teach in a new program, it's an experience of learning about your student. Uh, that's that's very important. You'll find that uh, you know I did this very well in my undergraduate class. When I go to the MBA class, this doesn't work anymore. So understanding the student is very important. Uh, and I do spend a lot of time on teaching. Uh, uh, and I actually do not think teaching is a burden because uh, um, just this uh, since COVID. We proposed a new uh, fully online MS program uh, for global supply chain here at Purdue, uh, you know, uh, because we anticipate that, you know, the, the in-residence um, enrollment will be going down and we feel this is a good time to, to launch our new program. So we'll see our first batch of the student. And actually since COVID, I've been spending a lot of time um, 
research and 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 learning about how to do online teaching for a fully online uh, program. I think that's a, a enjoyable experience because uh, given the capacity constraint and everything here, uh, I have to uh, kind of pick up courses in areas that I'm not necessarily that familiar with. And um, so one course I developed is advanced manufacturing management. Uh, you know, uh, and, and, and during the process of preparing the course, I think, you know, I also learned a lot from myself uh, because uh, trying to put together a course to see how what are the advanced techni techniques people are using in uh, advanced manufacturing. And even though I came from industry, but it has been quite some years. So this was the time that I, I, I actually get to learn that like, you know, things like lean manufacturing has evolved this much during the last 10 years and update my knowledge. And also there are new exciting things like uh, what people do with smart factories and, 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 and things related to industry 4.0, how it is changing, you know, the hierarchical manufacturing management to a network kind of a planning. I, I think, you know, I also see, you know, during this process, I also see that there's actually a lot of, you know, open space for research areas that, that we can actually build up model and, and examine. So I think seeing the teacher to, 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 to get yourself ready to teach someone else something is also, you know, uh, a process that you have to learn a lot to, to, to get to that stage. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, a lot of times we may think that stuff we're teaching is too far away from uh, our research because most of the audience other than PhD students, uh, they are not that quantitative to understand our language of modeling analysis, data analysis. Uh, but I think, you know, um, when, you, when you try to update your knowledge about teaching, uh, you gain, and gain some understanding of what really is useful for your future student when they go to industry, you have to learn about what industry is doing. And during that process, you'll be surprised. There's a lot of interesting things that is down there that, you know, uh, I feel that you know, uh, preparing a new course once in a while is probably necessary for us to force us to update some of our knowledge and to keep up with our students, right? Because many of our students, I don't know, three years down the road, they probably know better than us. Carlos, do you, do you want to go about service? It seems like uh, you know, learning and the love of learning is is something that it's you know very important for you that has guided your research as well as your teaching, and you know it it. it acts like a conducting thread for the two. Does it do the same for service? And, and how do you connect it to service? There are different levels of service we do. Uh, I would say after I joined Purdue, I actually get into a lot of uh, uh, um, school or university service. Um, I think at a certain stage, this is um, very useful because we are not staying in the silo for ourselves, of course. Uh, in academic, you can choose to be just on your own, uh, but it is people can do that very successfully. Again, you know, everybody's different and everybody choose different paths. Uh, for my personal experiences, that you know, uh, for most of us, we, we, we need to have an environment and then we need to have a team of people and, and feeling that we're affiliated or part of something. So I think you know, uh, uh, for me, I think that, that that kind of environment is important. And, 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 and to have that kind of atmosphere, it needs the contribution of everyone, right? So in Purdue, I, I, after I joined Purdue, I do get involved in a lot of different things. I think that's good experience. 
for two reasons. First, you know, you understand how the academic uh, institute is running, uh, so that you know where you are, who you are, what role you're playing uh, in the university. I think for um, in many dimensions, like for students, uh, when we build a new program, what are the things as a faculty, you know, uh, we should contribute or we should pay attention to. Uh, after all, we're all in educational institutions, right? So education is one of our major responsibilities. And, and that's a, a, a very good ex experience and for us to know uh, how the educational institute works. And the second thing is that, you know, uh, you can see that many people take different paths after uh, 10 years or even after four. Some would be more focused on administrative work, some would still continue on research, and some may be uh, moving on to consulting. And again, this is kind of the good thing about academic career. Uh, at different stage of your life, you can decide and choose what really fits you. Okay. Uh, and I think that kind of, as I said, the same thing as when you pick a research problem, you never say I'm not interested in that unless you did it, right? So I think that was a good experience for me to, to, to to, to determine what will be um, my how how would I allocate my time and and what will be my most uh, you know focus for the rest of my career because if I never know how the administrative um, you know process works how do I say that oh I'm not interested in doing too much administrative work you, you have to go and experience and, and see what value you're creating and and, and what can you do right uh, so I think. Uh, that's a good experience. And I always believe that, you know, to have a good environment, it needs contribution from everyone. And of course, everybody is good at something, everybody is bad at something. So I'm trying to do the service that I'm good at and trying to avoid the ones that I'm not good at, uh, but, uh, you know, do my fair share of contribution to um, the, the school. And same thing with the society, I think, or, or the professional um, word, I think, you know, um, I, I'm a very, uh, I do a lot of review work for different journals and, and, I'm, and I do um, enjoy that process because this is the chance you get to learn what people are working on. And, and, and I normally don't say no to review requests unless I get really, really busy, but that's rare. Uh, uh, even if a paper does not fall into my expertise, I, I, I think, you know, get to learn about uh, what other people are doing as it's a good, uh, because otherwise I would not probably go and explore certain areas. So I, I, I think I enjoy that, yeah. So, so just to follow up on that, Annabelle, um, mm -hmm. how do you balance your time? Do you have tips for people to think about how, how they should balance time? Because there's so much to do, right? Papers, research, teaching, reviews, service. Do you, do you have any thoughts? And of course you want, some life too, right? I mean, I think you. Of course. Uh, and and so so how do you how do you what is your rubric for how do you advise younger scholars who are, or even uh, I, uh, any I, any. I think, yeah. So I, I think I'm actually a very conservative people person, a personality wise. I I always remind myself when new things come, even though they may look very because there's attractions coming, like some company approach you and. And, and ask you to do some project looks exciting or a colleague approach you and say, let's work on this together, it looks exciting. Um, so I think I, I, I am actually very conservative 
uh, I always tell myself that I only have 24 hours a day, and uh, I want to, um, you know, personally, I want to still give myself uh, a significant portion of my time on my own research. Um, so, so I, I actually, um, I, I am actually very selective in uh, stuff I'm doing, uh, but I think I roughly have an idea of how much time I would like to spend on service and, 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 and how much time I would like to internally, externally, and how much time I can leave for myself uh, for research. So, so I'm actually very careful on that. And even when it comes to research, as I said, there are so many exciting projects that you want to work on, but I'm not someone who can run like, you know, 20 working progress at the same time. I normally focus on one or two. Uh, because uh, many people don't believe that, but you know, uh, for the project I'm working on, I, I need to write my own code and I need to check every line of delineation myself to feel comfortable to move on. Uh, of course, uh, everybody's different, but I, I, I am like that style. So I know that I do not have the energy to kind of spread myself too thin. Uh, I'm actually very conservative in picking up the next thing to work on. Uh, even for research, uh, there are things that I may see, oh, maybe interesting, you can write a paper and surely there, there's some interesting result and get it published. But then I'll ask myself, you know, would I want to spend the next three months on that or on something that is more interesting to me? So you have to make a selection, right? So I think, yeah, yeah that's my style, yeah. Um, but I think, um, Everybody has a different way of balancing different things they have on their plate. Um, I actually have a wide interest of many things. Um, you know, uh, per personally, okay, aside from work and all that. Uh, and, and, and I do see, you know, uh, connections of things you do. Like, I like cooking. I actually spend a lot of time cooking. And I like to get my kitchen organized. And oftentimes I use these as examples for when, when we're talking about the process layout design with my students, because you know how you can uh, do the same thing with less time uh, depends on how you lay out the organization of your kitchen and, and how you, you know, plan the process of your every step in cooking, right? So I think uh, uh, you'll find that you know, many of the things, uh, even when we do as a hobby, can, can be connected to our profession. And luckily, we're in operations, so we can figure out the right process to do everything so that we can do things efficiently. That is, that is true. So, so in terms of relevance, could you talk to us about how do you assess the current impact of POMS society, more generally on the community? How would you wish our impact to be? Would you, would you want us to change as a society? Uh, and how we can influence the discipline going forward. I, I think every academic society evolves according to, uh, you know, uh, who we are, right? Each individual of us has an influence on PROMS. But I think uh, one of the things I like about PROMS as a society or as a journal uh, is uh, its inclusiveness. Uh, you, you can clearly see that we have a large uh, number of international subscriptions for the journal as well as for the uh, society. Uh, you know, of course, we don't have the chance to go and see people all over the world to, at the POMS conference. That's what we miss. Uh, but we can, 
in, especially in the last few years, I noticed that you know that the participants of the conference from all over the world uh, is increasing very rapidly. Um, even though, uh, because I, I I I visit universities outside of US too, you will find that the the, the kind of culture or the type of research they may be focusing on is different. Uh, but, you know, um, people have very different way of looking at things. And when you talk to people, interact with people from another side of the world, you always learn something, some certain practice that we never do here in, in this country or the type of research, how they approach it uh, is very different. I, I, and I think, you know, that is important uh, because uh, this facilitates you know, the learning of everybody, the experience or exposure of everybody. Um, and, and the same thing with the journal. I think, you know, uh, Palms is, uh, the journal is not narrowly focused on. As the department editor, I, I get submissions all over the world on many different things. And, and when I, sometimes when I read the papers, uh, I, I feel that I'm learning something new myself. Uh, and I think this is important uh, because, um, you know, um, and, and if, if everybody wants to be the same type, replication of one another in producing their research, then there's not much innovation you can expect, right? It's only when people with different backgrounds, different ideas, uh, bouncing their ideas together, uh, that's when you know, new things sparkle around and, 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 and we push the uh, you know, frontier of our research. Um, even though, you know, sometimes you may feel that, oh, this is an interesting problem, but uh, uh, it's not very mature methodology of, um, you know, treating the problem. But I think research like that is still very valuable because it may potentially open up um, a, a new area or, or, or gaining interest from other people who will work on it and, and refine the, the, the area. I think that's important. Yeah. And, and, and I see that, you know, uh, one of the things that's exciting about Palms is its inclusiveness, um, bringing people together and, 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 and being more open to different ideas um, in, in the journal to get it published in Palms. I think um, yeah, that, that's very important. So in, in, you know, uh, and then specifically regarding your, your work, it seems, you know, at a very high level that you, uh, you know, started with stochastic inventory, you moved on to a negotiation and bargaining, and then you uh, are doing data integration. How do you think that's going to move forward? Uh, I don't really know. <laughs> so I think, you know, uh, actually, uh, people may think about, See, I think everything is connected, right? The bargaining work may seem completely irrelevant to uh, inventory work, but, but they merge at some point uh, because, you know, after working on stochastic inventory for some time, I was uh, looking into, because we all know that problem gets more and more difficult, but there are still important problems. We don't know how to solve it right or it gets too difficult, but they are important problems. So that's how it uh, uh, gets me to work together with uh, George Santikumar, who is an expert on stochastic orders. And uh, uh, we developed uh, this framework uh, uh, on uh, stochastic functions. And, 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 and I think, uh, it's, of course, it's more on the methodological side. But what drives us is all the different you know, problems 
we feel that we cannot solve. Okay, it started with one specific problem of pricing inventory prop, uh, model. Okay, and then we 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 see the abstraction of uh, you know uh, kind of uh, deriving the theory uh, that can be refined and and can be applied to a wide class of problems. And 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 the same thing, I, we actually apply it in the bargaining problems. Uh, if you look at different bargaining mechanisms, and if you treat, um, uh, you know, the uh, the consumer's utility as a stochastic function, uh, then a class of bargaining problems people seem to have no handle on it now can be analyzed nicely, and and it has also very nice interpretations in terms of how we look at uh, different market of consumers and what selling mechanisms we want to design for it. So I think eventually, uh, you know. Even though in the application area we, we may think that the problems are completely irrelevant, uh, but and in abstract sense they have some connections, oftentimes. Uh, so I think uh, uh, so. So what, where this will lead to, I truly don't know. But I know that you know there's a lot of again open space for uh, developing the theory of stochastic functions, and I think that'll um, take some time because traditionally when we formulate a model, we're dealing with some functions, right? Um, Input-output relationship. And normally what we do is we kind of treat um, uncertainties as random variables as a random input to the function, but the function itself is deterministic. But if we kind of moving away from the deterministic thinking of a function and think about stochastic function, um, we find that the, the, the ability or the space we can maneuver things it's expanded dramatically. That allows us to kind of go back to many problems and ask ourselves, you know, uh, how it looks differently if I look at it in the stochastic lens. So I think that's um, an exciting area. Um, and also, uh, this is actually also related to uh, the work we are currently developing on data integration models. Um, a lot of us work on data, uh, no matter for applied work or for just theoretical work um, and, and building models, including econometrics models and machine learning models and statistics models. But every time when we apply a data model, uh, when we have data and then we apply a model, we focus a lot on analyzing the data itself and forgetting about what is data. Data are realizations of random variables. So if I want to explore the relationship from the data, you know, any model as input-output relationship, we're actually looking at um, random outcomes and data are random inputs. So this is a naturally a stochastic function underlying, um, uh, hidden behind the data, right? So, so, um, so then can we have a theory looking at, looking at um, for example, what we want to predict is a stochastic function of the data? Or will we want to decide as a stochastic function of the data? And can we explore the properties? And, 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 and then we will have a different way of looking at uh, the problem we are currently looking at. So I think, you know, uh, I see at least stuff I'm working on. I have been working on eventually uh, kind of converge to that path. Uh, but how it'll evolve eventually uh, three years down the road, I don't really know. <laughs> we are still exploring. Yeah. 
So just uh, this, we are probably entering towards the last parts of uh, one question and then, so how, how do you see things evolve in the future, particularly in academia, say five years from now? Uh, I think, um, see, if you ask me the question a year ago, I may have a very different view, but I think COVID does change a lot of things. Um, so I think in terms of uh, um, uh, research, because of COVID, industry is changing very rapidly. I think, uh, even though I think uh, like digitization in industry, uh, we are moving along that direction, but COVID definitely pushed that timeline much quicker than what we have expected. So I think um, uh, given that, uh, you know, many industry are operating very differently, even talking about traditional sourcing and procurement, uh, you know, that firms are innovatively trying to figure out ways to make the firm more resilient. Uh, you may, I don't know if you have read the article from um, Harvard Business Review after COVID, basically saying procurement is kind of the key of surviving of every firm, right? So, so I, I think, you know, six months ago or eight months ago, if you ask anybody to say, what are you talking about? But now everybody would agree on that. So I think that definitely will drive a new um, wave of research on how are we going to reshape the supply chain operations uh, within the company, including, you know, it's pretty much everywhere, right? Resource planning to procurement, to logistics, to import, export, how, how, how things are, are, are moving along. I, I think, you know, there's definitely uh, you know, a lot of uh, new practices are coming that requires us to look into. Um, uh, I think the landscape of the industry is evolving very rapidly. Of course, uh, when, when people talk about COVID-related research, most people are still focusing on the healthcare part, but I think in the industry, things are happening and things are changing, uh, moving very rapidly. And on the education side, I think you know online teaching is coming. Um, if before our forecast is 10 years later, every university will have an online program. I think three, in three years, pretty much major university will have online program. And we know that two-year MBA in every university is shrinking and Purdue suspended, we suspended our um, two-year program uh, this year. So I think, you know, as uh, someone in the profession, I think very quickly in our tenure promotion case, people will now ask, has this person taught MBA class? We probably will ask, had this person taught online classes for the teaching dimension evaluation? I think, you know, uh, that is coming. And, and I cannot fully predict what is going on and when things are uh, becoming what. I think there's still a lot of unknown ahead of us. But I think the way we think about our profession and as a teacher and a researcher uh, has to be changed um, given what has happened in the last few months. Uh, and um, the, even though I, I feel I'm a very experienced teacher, but this summer it was a completely you know, new experience. I feel I'm back to rookie again, have to you know, do a lot of research and reading about you know, how people do online teaching and it's completely a different um, space. Uh, the experience we had in the classroom does not carry over anymore and you have to you know, learn every step on the way. Uh, I think you know, all of us are pr pretty much reset to zero when it comes to teaching or online teaching. So I think the way uh, we look at our profession will be different. The way we will evaluate our future um, 
you know, colleagues for promotion review will, will, will be different. Yeah. Probably not immediately, but I think three, five years down the road, things will be dramatically different. Uh, but of course, there's also exciting opportunities for all of us to reshape ourselves and redetermine where we want to be, uh, you know, next five years down the road. Yeah. Any, any, any last words before we close out for, for, for younger scholars and, and older alike? Any, anything that you would like to share? Well, I think, you know, we are in a very good career. Uh, this is a, a, you know, um, a very exciting career. And personally, I, I love operations and supply chain. And part of the reason, as I mentioned, I can use things that I know to my life and feel that I'm better even in cooking than most people doing it efficiently. Um, um, and I think, you know, there's a lot of uh, changes ahead of us and, and there's also a lot of opportunities. I think being a scholar, the important thing is uh, number one, trust yourself, have your own confidence. Don't get too much influenced with negative reviews. All of us have to experience that no matter what, you know, publication records you have obtained, all of us have experienced rejections and frustrations with publication process. Uh, I hope that does not affect anybody's, uh, you know, confidence that, that that's an important thing. Believe on what you're doing and, 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 and believing, you know, what you're doing is important. I think uh, that's very important. And the other thing is that always be open-minded uh, to get to know things you don't know and, 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 and to, to, to get to the uncertainties ahead of us, uh, have a, you know, open mind for things that are coming to us. I think that's important for, for every career. Thank you, Annabelle, for your insightful thoughts. To our audience, thank you all for joining us for another episode of Palms Podcast. If you have not heard, please tune in to our first episode where we talk about the Palms heritage with Professor Sushil Gupta, Professor Kalyan Singhal, and Professor Subodha Kumar on the society in general. Um, if you have any thoughts and suggestions, uh, please do send it to us at palms.society at gmail.com. We will look forward to hearing from you and hopefully you will look forward to further episodes from us. Thank you so much for joining us.